0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 18th of April. I'm standing in for Evelyn this week. My name is Jenny Tansey, and with me reading the news are...
1: Patty Fellows.
0: Moira Lowe. Hugh Thomas. Barry Hurd is our engineer. Carol Hartley is working on the administration. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are... I've been penalised... Human Fireball Horror, Have Your Medal Back, Child Killer Push Partner Downstairs, Boy Injured in Hit and Run, and Nothing Short of Superheroes. Before we start, we have um, a very sad uh, announcement to make. It's with great sadness we announce the death of Brian Wheelwright on Tuesday, the 16th of April, following a sudden critical illness which he has battled with for over two months. Brian became involved with Worcester Talking Newspaper over 20 years ago, with the encouragement of his son-in-law, Duncan Wynne. He has both engineered every fourth week and together with his wife Eileen, copied recordings and the following, sorry, copied recordings on the following morning. We are indebted to him and Eileen for their commitment to Worcester Talking News and have missed them both in recent months. Our thoughts and prayers are with Eileen, her daughter Mandy, who's also been very supportive of the talking newspapers, Duncan, daughter Hannah and son Mike, who is our fundraiser. Mm -hmm. So I will
1: pass you over for the first headline to Paddy. Mine is the headline which says, I've been penalised. teen has been forced to pay £150 to recover his stolen bike. A teenager was forced to pay the 150 to have his stolen motorbike returned despite the vehicle being found by police just down the road from his house. Mason Carr's motorbike was found dumped in a field near his Brickfields home hours after being stolen from his driveway in the early hours of Monday, April the 8th. The 17-year-old, from Tourette's, dyspraxia and anxiety and had saved up his apprenticeship wages to buy the 125cc scrambler worth around 900 pounds two months before. His mum Tara Car said my son has been penalised twice once by the thieves who stole it and once by the police. They said Sorry, she said they reported the theft on Monday morning, therefore searching the area themselves, but the bike was found by officers just a few hundred yards away. A recovery firm was alerted and the bike was impounded, with the fee then due from Mason as the registered keeper. They could have told us it was down the road, said Mrs Carl. If they had called to say it's just down the road, we have collected it for free. She continued, It's obviously their protocol, and the police did a fantastic job finding it. But he has been penalised twice, through no fault of his own, and the thieves have got away with it. I'm sure this must have happened to lots of other people, but why should this be acceptable? She said, People in much worse situations than us are likely to have been stung by such protocol, using the hypothetical example of a hard-up family whose only car is stolen and recovered by the police. She said they've called in a recovery truck, or however they do it, and the recovery people charge the police. Otherwise, they don't get the money. I understand that, because they need the money for the job they do, but it sucks as he's only 17. Mrs Carr said the police told then the bike would be scrapped if the recovery fee wasn't paid, but they would still be billed for £150 either way. We decided we might as well have it back, but it is absolutely trashed. It's ridiculous, he continued. With his mum having paid off the bill on a credit card, Mason is now left again, having to save up his wages from his apprentice job in the IT technical support to either repair the bike, which he estimates could be a couple of hundred, or get a new one. Mason said, if I had had fully comp insurance, I might have been covered for this, but I didn't. On my apprenticeship wage, I can't afford fully comp insurance. It was a grand and a half, or something for a year of insurance on a bike. He added, It's not like we think we are some special case, and no one else has ever had anything stolen. It's not about being stolen. I've been done wrong, and have to pay the consequence of their wrongdoing. Referring to the theft itself, Mrs Carr said it was parked behind the hedges so nobody could see it from the road or anything and it had the steering lock on. They stripped all the wheels, the exhaust had a cover on, they've taken all the lights and cut the wiring, it's unrecognisable. She said it's his independence that was stolen. He suffered with anxiety and dyspraxia. It gave him the confidence to be able to go and do things on his own. Before getting a bike, it was difficult for him to walk down the street without anyone with him. Mason went on to say, If I'm on a road and no one's around, I get anxious. It used to really freak me out. It kind of helped me process everything and give me more confidence. It wasn't just about being able to get from one place to the next. Mason wanted to stress that he appreciated how personal or personnel the police were, with him keeping him updated throughout Monday. PC Alan Figueredo of course, Hill and Rainbow Hill Safer Na- Neighbourhood Team said a motorcycle was sighted being driven by two youths without helmets who then made off from the officers. The officers were following the possible route the bike had taken when a member of the public pointed out where the bike had gone. When the officers arrived, they found that it had been ditched. At the time, there was no distinguishing marks available, and so recovery was arranged so that it could be forensically looked at. The chassis number was then located, and it was then identified as being the stolen mug motorcycle that was reported. A call was made to the registered keeper to confirm that it had been found and that it had been recovered. Unfortunately, it's a forced policy that the cost of recovery is down to the registered keeper of the vehicle.
2: Okay, my headline is human fireball horror. A man is in a critical condition after setting himself on fire. An eyewitness said it looked as though there was a man on fire. About ten police officers were standing around and were trying to douse him out. Then another police officer came out with a fire extinguisher. I saw a rapid response unit and a fire engine absolutely rushing through town to get there. Detective Inspector Tony Garner of Worcester CID said this was a very unusual and highly distressing incident for all involved. Our thoughts were with the man and his family at this difficult time. We recognise the impact this incident has had on the attending emergency services services responders who are being provided with welfare support. It is understood the man in his 60s had mental health problems. The drama unfolded after police were called to report of a missing person at around 9.30pm on Thursday. Officers found the man just minutes later in Castle Street. A short time later, the man was seen to be on fire. Officers immediately took steps to extinguish the fire and gave first aid. Support was then provided by ambulance and the fire service. The man was taken to hospital where he remains in a critical condition. A spokesman said he was given specialist trauma treatment at the roadside before being taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Police said they were not treating the fire as suspicious. They are appealing to anyone who may have witnessed the incident to contact them on 101, quoting Incident 775 of April the 11th.
3: My headline story is from Monday, April the 15th. A former British soldier who served in Northern Ireland during the Troubles will return his medal if Soldier F is prosecuted for murder. Martin Ledbury of Worcester, who served in the Royal Artillery said he will send back his treasured Northern Ireland medal in protest if the paratrooper is prosecuted for the killing of two people on Bloody Sunday in Londonderry in 1972. City-born Mr Ledbury, who joined the Royal Artillery as a 16-year-old, has been involved in various tours in Northern Ireland since 1978. Serving in Lurgan and Ported down in County Armagh, where he performed peacekeeping duties, went out on patrol, searched for weapons with the Royal Ulster Constabulary, and confronted IRA targets. He estimates he was about a hundred yards away from a bombing in Lurgan High Street in November 1978. The 59-year-old father, who lives near Newtown Road in Worcester, said he felt solidarity with Soldier F, describing him as part of the brotherhood and family of soldiers. The former Christopher Whitehead pupil said, He has been very unfairly treated. He's a scapegoat. I feel angry that there has been this betrayal of trust. We were only doing what we were ordered to do, taking the Queen's shilling and obeying orders. I was there in the heart of the Troubles. We all risked our lives for our country and this is how we are treated. We feel it's one rule for the terrorists and another for us. Mr Ledbury described receiving his Northern Ireland medal at the age of 19 as one of the proudest moments of his life. And he said it was a source of anger and regret that he now felt compelled to take such a drastic step. Because of his service in Northern Ireland, he was promoted from Gunner to Lance Bombardier. He learned of the plan to prosecute Soldier F on social media. I couldn't believe it. He was just doing his job. It shouldn't have happened, he said. Mr Ledbury said... He has been in contact with ex-paratrooper Corporal Jim Kenyon, the former mayor of Hereford, who has already sent back his Northern Ireland medal to Downing Street in protest. He was one of the three veterans to return his medal, along with 23 white feathers, one for each member of the cabinet, saying they represent cowardice in the face of the enemy. Mr. Kenyon said other veterans have contacted him to say they would also hand back their medals in protest. He has argued that the Good Friday Agreement should have involved an amnesty for all involved in the troubles and that it was wrong for the UK government to allow the prosecution to go ahead after so many years. However, He advised Mr Ledbury to hold back on returning his medal to see how the government responds to the ongoing protest. Mm -hmm. Mr Ledbury said, If nothing happens, we will send our medals back and there will be a letter to the Prime Minister. The Public Prosecution Service for Northern Ireland has said there is enough evidence to prosecute Soldier F, a former paratrooper, for the murder murders of James Ray and William McKinney. He has also been charged with four attempted murders on Bloody Sunday. The single prosecution has been criticised by some of the families of the 13 people killed. They were shot dead at a civil rights march on January 30, 1972, which became known as the Northern Ireland Troubles.
0: And the headline for Tuesday, April the 16th, Child Killer Pushed Partner Downstairs. A convicted child killer and paedophile pushed his partner down the stairs and broke her foot after after accusing her of cheating on him. Tyler Valance of Bath Road, Worcester, appeared at Worcester Crown Court over video link from prison after admitting assaulting, occasioning actual bodily harm against his partner, Linda Davidson, who had not supported the prosecution. She appeared in the public gallery in support of him. By committing the assault last September, the 26-year-old was recalled on a nine-year prison sentence for manslaughter and Section 20 wounding what his defence barrister Abigail Nixon described as a baby shaking case. Giles Nelson, prosecutor, said Valens' partner rang the police after the assault on September the 26th last year. They had argued because she was on the phone to someone. The prosecution described the background of, of jealousy and arguments. Mr Nelson said she rang up the police saying she had been assaulted by her boyfriend that he had pushed her down the stairs in this instance and that they were at the top of the stairs. She described how she got pushed by him. She says she wasn't sure whether it was with one hand or two, but he pushed me down the stairs and that's what caused the injury and caused me to phone the police. Mr Nelson said during the course of that 999 call, Fallon's could be heard making threats to stab various people if they came near him. The court heard how his partner's foot became very swollen after the push and there was a break to a bone in her foot. This was later identified as a break to the tannous bone which required her to have an operation and to be kept in hospital. The defendant was arrested at the scene and initially denied pushing her, claiming she tripped, and then replied no comment to questions put to him by police in interview. This is a complainant that did not support the prosecution and made a withdrawal statements at Mr Nelson. The couple had been in a relationship since the 4th of May 2018 and had argued on a daily basis. Mr Nelson added, It appears Mr Valance was jealous, accusing her of cheating on him with people at work. Valence was, ja- jail- Sorry, Valence was jailed for nine months nine years in December 2014 for the unlawful kidding killing of his two-month-old daughter Mm. Isabella we previously reported how a post-mortem showed the child had a brain injury eight broken ribs and two broken legs experts concluded that the injuries could be the result of violent shaking the injuries described as something akin to a car crash had been caused by fierce gripping or twisting by Valence, who was subject to violent outbursts of temper when he had not taken his medication. Valence denied causing the injuries, but eventually admitted on the day of his trial that he was guilty of wounding. Valence also had a previous conviction in August 2013 for sexual activity with a girl under 16. (laughs) He served six months in a young offender's institution as a result. Throughout the video link, hearing Valance slumped forward with his arms folded on the table in front of him. On one occasion, he turned away from the judge, so he was side-on to the camera, and on another he put one of his feet up on the table. Abigail Nixon, defending, said, Her client had ADHD and various mental health difficulties, and said, the Crown had been determined to proceed with this matter based on the 999 call and the evidence of body-worn camera footage. Ms. Nixon said it's brave to plead guilty to a matter where there's no, compl- no complainant. One could argue that he has, in fact, served more than his sentence by the fact that he has been recalled for more than six months now. She accepted he was on licence and at the time but argued that the injuries his partner sustained were minor in the scale of this sort of offence, asking him to be given credit for his guilty plea at an earlier opportunity. Recorder Edward Coke sentenced him to four months in prison but said the Crown Prosecution Service was right to continue with the case despite the victim not wanting to proceed with the matter. However, he said he could not say what would happen with regard to Valence's recall for the other offences.
1: Now my next headline is from April 17th <coughs> and it's a boy who was injured in a hit and run. A distraught mum is appealing for witnesses after a driver knocked her 12-year-old son off his bike as he was crossing the road and then drove away. Janice Hemming from Worcester claims her son Ross was out with a group of friends and although he alleges the road was clear before crossing, a car came round the corner and caught his back wheel which resulted in him being thrown off his bike. Mrs. Kemming, Hemming, aged 34, said the car clipped the back of his wheel and he fell off his bike. It was very lucky she did not catch his legs as that could have been fatal. He had bruises all over his legs, a big lump like an egg shape on his head and grazes all over his body. If I hit a child with my car, I would make quite sure to help them and ensure they got home safely. Witness Claire Smith said the driver was a middle-aged woman wearing glasses with brunette hair in a silver Vauxhall Saffira. She claims the woman did... Check on the child briefly before driving off. Miss Smith posted on Mrs Hemming's Facebook post regarding the incident. She did stop in the middle of the road. We were about five, five cars behind and she was out on the road calling out to the kids. She looked very confused. She then got in the car and pulled over down by one stop. I thought she was having a go at them, the way she had stopped traffic on both sides. There were kids on bikes both sides of the road too. I didn't realise anyone had got knocked down. Mrs Hemming said, ''I don't think shouting across the street, are you okay?' is good enough.'' The lady in question should not have left the scene without giving information and she should have made sure my boy got home okay." I want the person to come forward and apologise. Mrs Hemming added, Ross told us he had to quickly pick himself up off the street and run to the pavement in case a car from the other side of the road came towards him. Mrs Hemming described her son as a worrier and a sensible boy, claiming that he was not able to leave the house for days due to shock from the incident. She added, I feel distraught and completely lost. I need information to find out what happened to put my mind at rest. I feel guilty about it all. I keep asking myself if I should have left him out. But I have to remember that he's 12 years old and wants to be with his friends. The mum of three says her son's brand new bike, which he had at Christmas, has been destroyed from the crash and it will cost about £150 to be repaired. The incident happened outside the shop, one stop in Brickfields Road, Blackpole, on April 10th, between around 6.30 to 7pm. Mrs Hemming is planning, oh, sorry, pleading anyone with information to come forward. If you saw anything, contact the police on 101, quoting incident number... 0746S of April the 10th,
2: 2019. Okay, my headline is from today mm-hmm. and it's nothing short of superheroes. Mm-hmm. A mum who spent 31 mm-hmm. hours on a trolley at Worcester Royal Hospital has called the staff who treated her as superheroes and called for more to be done to support them as they struggle to meet demand. Helen Burton, 33, was at the hospital for an operation to treat an abscess on the top of her leg, but what should have been a simple 10-minute procedure turned into a nightmare as there were no free beds. Speaking of her ordeal, the mum of two said, My treatment should have been a simple procedure, but unfortunately the NHS was unable to provide that. On Monday, I was transferred here and placed amongst countless others in an overflow corridor on a trolley, which I was on continuously for 31 hours. At one point, we were in an overflow for the overflow area, whilst others were being treated in ambulances. Despite her ordeal, Miss Burton thanked the staff at the hospital for the efforts, calling for more support for NHS workers. She said... The staff who cared for me have been outstanding, dedicated, and nothing short of superheroes. Over the last forty-eight hours alone, I've seen doctors, nurses, and the rest of the team battling to serve in overcrowded conditions with minimal resources. And I know that's a tiny snippet of what must be really going on. NH staff need a voice. They want better care for their parents. Uh, sorry, patients. I get to go home whilst. Dedicated NHS staff choose every day to come here and serve. I'll be writing to PALS, that's the patient advice in the liaison service, and to anyone else I think effective, but I want to thank each and every person who gets up and works in these conditions, keeping everything going for the people that need it, whilst being failed by the people who should be governing. Ms Burton from Alvechurch has since been discharged and is at home recovering with her family the Worcestershire Acute NHS Trust was unable to provide a comment by the time the Worcester News
3: went to print. A new High Sheriff of Worcestershire has been appointed. At a recent ceremony at Worcestershire Hall, Edward Holloway read out his formal declaration promising to serve Her Majesty the Queen in the county the new High Sheriff takes over the role from outgoing High Sheriff Cassian Roberts. During the ceremony, the Right Honourable Sir Andrew Macfarlane told dignitaries gathered that he was sure the new incumbent would follow in the footsteps of recent High Sheriffs who had shown just how this ancient old office can be used to the public good. He added that the new High Sheriff, a local farmer and businessman, had been a reluctant recipient who might have preferred a less prominent role, but was persuaded to take up the position. The role of High Sheriff dates back to Saxon times when the Sheriff was appointed to maintain law and order. Today... It is an unpaid voluntary role, appointed by the Queen, almost entirely ceremonial with the only significant legal function related to enforcement of High Court writs.
0: A homeless man who was arrested for begging said he had no choice, but the boss of a shelter says support is available to those who need it. Ian Cunningham has previously stayed at St Paul's Hostel, but currently has no fixed address. He pleaded guilty on Thursday to begging in Worcester. Cunningham, defending himself, said, It's a daily routine. I'm homeless. I've not got very much money. I don't bother people. I don't ask. I just sit down, and if they choose to pass me a bit of change, I'll accept it, and I don't do it to be a nuisance. The 32-year-old added, I know it's illegal, but I didn't see that I had much choice. At around 10:50 on March the 20th, the police officers saw Cunningham sitting on the ground in the City Arcade High Street, Worcester. Shafqa Riaz, prosecution said, in front of him was a hat containing some coins. He was taken to Worcester Police Station and arrested. Cunningham said he spends the money on just whatever I need, a lot of normal things, essentials, just for getting by. Cunningham was given a conditional ch- discharge for six months and fined £20. The case was heard at Worcester Crown Magistrate's Court on Thursday, April the eleventh. Speaking on behalf of Worcester Cares Vulnerable People and Homeless Forum, Jonathan Sutton-, Sutton said, There has been an increased number of people on the streets of Worcester who appear to most members of the public to be homeless, but no means are all sorry, by no means are all these people homeless and police and homeless outreach workers know that a number of them have accommodation. The vast majority of those who are on the streets during the day and certainly those who remain on them at night have significant addictions to drugs including most visibly alcohol. This increases their vulnerability to the criminal behaviour of other people. Colleagues at the homeless charities Police, local authority and Worcester Bid are trying to tackle the issue of begging sensitivity and put help and support at the centre. Nobody wants to criminalise. But it is the case that while we are all relentless and persistent in encouraging people to get help, sometimes a person is not contemplating change. There is already help available And lots of organisations, St Paul's Hostel, Mag's Day Centre, CCP, Swanswell, street pastors and numerous soup or street kitchens are active in this city. So there's no good reason why Ian needs to beg for money from the public. We all want to help Ian resolve the underlying issues that causes him to be begging on the street.
1: Now my next piece is about Elgar. So Edward Elgar always had a reputation as a chap who could write a good tune. (laughs) What is rather less known about the dapper Worcestershire-born composer is that he wrote letters to quite a few of them and often to the press. Now, this particular neglected side of his character has been explored by journalist Richard Westwood Brooks in a new book called Elgar and the Press which offers an intriguing insight into a character who could be toady when it suited him, but he didn't shy from being controversial. When he judged the publicity would be to his advantage. Unfortunately, he was not always right. As someone who has been in the business for more than half a century, Richard W.B. knows how the press works – and his choice of Elgar's correspondence has been made with a view to producing, as he puts it, a good read, rather than merely a catalogue of what Sir Elgar bicycled off whoops bicycled off down the road to drop into his nearest post box. Hence he opens the bowling with a bumper of a ball, a self written press release, Elgar often wrote his own press releases in which E.E. describes a performance by the New Choral and Orchestral Society in Birmingham as showing signs of exceptional vitality under the exhilarating conductorship of Mr. Edward Elgar. So no hanging back there. Unfortunately, Elgar's view of his own brilliance was not always shared initially, anyway, by others in the Worcestershire Echo in the early 1890s, appeared the following report. A lady, appropriately enough, named Fiddler, Miss Florence Fiddler, has something to say about him, that's Elgar, as a conductor. The lady who's played under him in an amateur orchestra says he's hopeless as a teacher, but is a fine conductor. (laughs) Those who need to be taught orchestral playing need to go elsewhere. <clears throat> if the band is experienced and knows how to allow itself to be played on, he will play on it to some purpose. But he is at the mercy of his moods and really does a thing twice alike. Elgar was also quite capable of playing the modest hero Witness a review of one of his works in the Worcester Herald, which concludes, The flattering reception given to the composer and the repeated recalls were probably rather a trial for Mr. Elgar, who, with the modesty of a real genius, seems almost to shun applause. As WB observes, Elgar had every reason to be thankful for the treatment he received from correspondents. Criticism was largely positive, supportive and encouraging, despite his reaction to it. An example of which was the composer's complaint, tongue-in-cheek or not, about his press reviews. The press invariably misquote and assume so much that is false that it is not worthwhile to attempt to put the matter straight, I fear. In fact, Elgar worked the press as assiduously as the late Diana and painstakingly cultivated relationships with the journalists. There was a prime example of his smalm in a letter to Fred Kenyon of the Manchester Courier when he wrote... Very many thanks for your letter and the sight of your admirable article. I cannot feel that anything could be altered. You now have a standing ovation and I shall always be glad to see you. On the other hand, he could be really, no, he could really put his foot in it. It would be hard to accept that he didn't know what he was saying when, in an interview with an American journalist in America, he attacked the British National Anthem as being stolen from the Germans, adding, the words are stupid, some of the lines won't rhyme, and the man who sings it thinks of what he's saying can't respect himself. Then, just for good measure, Elgar told his interviewing... "'Your national anthem is even worse than England's. "'You haven't got any legitimate song. "'I suppose there is a Yankee Doodle "'which has words that are stark idiocy, "'while the music would set the teeth of a bus saw on edge, "'talking about rubbing your host the wrong way. "'But as Worcestershire Echo observed at the time, "'he's obviously an enemy of the conventional national anthem.' a matter which one might have guessed from the fact he put so much national feeling into his now famous land of hope and glory. (coughs) So just when you thought the last word had been written on Sir Edward Elgar, who was born on June 2nd, 1857, at Lower Broadheath, and died February 23rd, 1934, at Marlbank, Rainbow Hill, Worcestershire. Along comes this very well-researched book. Incidentally, in an act of civic vandalism, Elgar's last home, Marlbank, was demolished in 1969 and replaced by three blocks of flats. Now, that really was a matter worth writing to the press about. (laughs)
2: Um, Homebase will be closing one of its two Worcester branches in the summer, ahead of the range moving onto the Hilton Road site. Yesterday, so that was last Friday, um, banners announcing the store was shutting went up to inform customers, and a spokesman for the DIY firm has now confirmed the store is preparing for the closure which is set to happen between August 19th and 29th, as August 30th is the date Homebase has to have the site cleared by. The Worcester News reported in February that the range was being allowed to move into the building after Worcester City Council's planning committee voted in favour of scrapping a rule that had meant the DIY chain could be the sole operator of the building. The Homebase spokesman said... The store will be closing in the week commencing August the 19th or August the 26th. Every effort will be made to move to redeploy staff to other stores. Richard Udall, St John's City Councillor, wrote, St John's home base to close in August. No support for their loyal staff from their employers. Many could be losing their jobs, a disgusting way to treat employees. Notices have gone up informing customers the store was no longer participating in other national home-based promotions and the branch was offering clearance discounts that are unique to this store. A manager at the store yesterday gave no comment when asked about the situation. Planning permission was originally granted to Homebase by the council in 1986, with the firm condition, meaning home and garden retail chain, the range, had to apply to change the use of the building to allow a greater variety of goods to be sold. In August last year, Homebase announced that it would close 42 stores and that a further 70 shops were
3: under review. Changes to a second unpopular zebra road a uh, zebra crossing rather are being considered. <clears throat> it has been revealed. A council highways boss said plans were in the pipeline to, to change the pedestrian crossing near Asda, following a barrage of fresh criticism for the spot. Residents have labelled the pheasant street crossing near the Asda superstore dangerous and want it replaced with traffic lights. The criticism comes after the crossing on Croft Road between the Hive and Racecourse was removed on Wednesday as part of a £3.2 million grant from the Department of Transport. Worcestershire County Council hopes to improve congestion on the troublesome road with a roundabout to be removed and other improvements to follow. However, Worcester News readers now want council bosses to turn their attentions to the crossing on Pheasant Street. Julie Giblin said it causes really long tailbacks and blamed it on completely crazy planning. Beryl Hill said, please do the same at Asda next because the people just assume you'll stop and you can't see them coming because the bushes are in the way. City residents had previously dubbed the Croft Road crossing as the worst in Worcester, but T.J. Cooper said the Pheasant Street one deserved the title due to the amount of traffic up there because of it. A footbridge would be so much better, she added. In response, John Fraser, Worcestershire Highways, said... Changes to the pedestrian crossing near Asda are being considered as part of improvement plans for the area. As soon as these plans are confirmed later this year, we will be sharing the information with residents and business.
0: A former Army nurse has issued a rally call for Sweet Tooth citizens to support a patriotic pudding night with a dash of D-Day commemorations. Broadheath with Rushwick W.I. is organising the unique event at Lower Broadheath Village Hall on Saturday, April the 27th, after calling for a report of previous sell-out pudding nights. But this time, there's a patriotic twist and a dash of D-Day landing commemorations. The evening will begin with a patriotic pra- pra- parade sorry, led by David Waldron, Worcestershire Chairman of the Royal British Legion, escorted by local cadets representing the Army, Navy and RAF. We want this to be a jubilant evening of comradeship within the community and a timely tribute to the heroes of the D-Day landings on the 75th anniversary year, said Organiser Kay Hearn, who served in the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps. The Women's Institute is known for its wartime efforts on the home front too, so we are honouring our most senior members who can remember those days. Guests will be able to enjoy a uniquely entertaining evening, as well as some of the WI's most delicious desserts. Members of Broadheath with Rushwick WI will serve guests with a ploughman's supper followed with an extensive array of delicious desserts, including some great British favourites. There will be musical entertainment with local singer Sarah B, and a raffle which raises funds for the Worcestershire Association of Carers on the Night. Individuals and groups can book tickets at only £10 each by calling 01905 or emailing Broadheath with rushwick wi at
1: gmail.com. Now I have a piece about a vicar who's preparing for a charity wing walk. Vicar Joe Musson has been preparing herself for a charity wing walk. Next month, the Reverend Musson, who is Vicar of St. George's Church Worcester and St. John Baptist. In will be strapped to the top wing of a 1940s Boeing Spearman biplane travelling at 120 miles per hour and reaching a height of roughly two and a half times that of Worcester Cathedral Tower as she flies over RFC Rendcombe Airfield in Sirencester The fundraiser on Wednesday, May the 15th is going to be extra difficult for the vicar as she's scared of heights (laughs) and flying so conquer her fears Uh, she went to raven meadows new jungle safari adventure golf course in claines which features an actual crashed plane The Reverend Musson, who is married to Adrian and has three daughters and five grandchildren, said lots of people have been asking me what training I will be doing to get ready for the wing walk, which is hilarious, really, because there isn't actually anything I can do apart from keep praying. (laughs) (laughs) But as a joke, I thought I'd do something, so I went down to Raven Meadow. I climbed up onto the wings of the plane and stood there to see what it felt like, with the permission of James, the manager of the course. It was pretty scary at first, because the plane is rather flimsy, but afterwards I did feel more confident, and it has somehow broken the ice for when I do the real thing, so I don't feel quite so nervous now. The 59-year-old is collecting sponsorship money for the Clane's 2020 Vision Project in order to raise funds to make Claines church more vis- visitor-friendly, adding toilets, making the church more accessible and installing facilities to allow better hospitality. The Reverend Musson added, we desperately need better facilities for the hundreds of people who come to Clamen's church every month. Ten percent of her sponsorship is also being given to the cancer charity bloodwise so the Reverend Mason has sent up a fundraising page to raise the money to sponsor her visit justgiving dot com forward slash fundraising forward slash rev Uh, Alternatively, donations can be sent in the post to the parish office, Corn Meadow Lane Centre, claims WR37NY, marking them Reverend Joe Wingwalk.
2: Two shopkeepers in Worcester have become embroiled in a row over a ball display, which one owner says is driving away business. Andrew Connellan, who owns Connect Two Vapes on Broad Street, claims that a display of balls set up by the owner of the toy shop next door is obscuring customers' views of his store, meaning he's losing (coughs) business. The 62-year-old said, We opened our shop 23 years ago, and since then have sold many things, basically whatever the fad is at the time. So we've sold loom bands, fidget spinners, tamagotchis, when they were in fashion. When the toy shop opened, we thought, great, because what we need is more thriving businesses in Worcester. Since then, it has become a bit of a case of neighbours from hell. He has set up this ball display, which prevents people from seeing that we are open and it has really hurt our business. He really dislikes this shop. When fidget spinners were the big craze, he declared fidget spinner war on us. The shop next door, Toys and Games of Worcester, is owned by Tim Evans, who responded to the claim saying... All we want to do is sell toys. Our display does not block the view of the shop next door as their signs are higher than our display is. In fact, you could very much claim which is the same case from the other end of the street as their sign obscures ours. Mr Evans, 50, said his business follows the rules and there was no problem with the display. He added, It's a shame to be in a dispute with the neighbours like this. All we want to do is sell toys and we are perfectly within the regulations for the frontage of our shop. The rules state, any front of shop display must be less than 1.2 metres from the door and we are currently only 75 centimetres, so we just try to follow the rules of business. The affair has gone before Worcester City Council after Mr Connellan made a complaint and a council officer visited the two shops last week to discuss the matter. A City Council spokesman said, We have contacted Mr Connellan and are attempting to resolve this matter. A council officer visited the two shops and took photographs which can be used as evidence if enforcement action proves necessary. For updates on this issue, see worcesternews.co.uk.
3: A mum says her teenage son could have suffered a fatal allergic reaction after a farm shop sold her a cake containing nuts with no warning label. Sarah Crossley said her 19-year-old son Tom, who is severely allergic to peanuts, could have died if he had eaten the coffee cake from Gwilym's farm shop in Bevery, Worcester. As a small amount of nuts could prove fatal for Tom, she checked the label of the cake, which did not carry any mention of this. However, when she returned home, and ate a slice, she discovered a topping she had thought was a sugar decoration, actually contained nuts. She said she contacted the shop to check, and was put through to the cake supplier, Kay's Homemade Cakes of Kroll. She says she told them the toppings included peanuts, and the supplier told her they had not updated the label, as they were planning on putting coffee beans on the next batch. (laughs) Mrs. Crossley, 54, said, "'This could have been a serious situation if my son had touched the cake, Mm -hmm. and even worse if he'd eaten a piece and had not been able to call for help or reach his EpiPen. Goodness knows what could have happened to my son if he'd had that cake.' He worked shifts, he could have easily have come home late one night and had a slice without knowing it contained nuts. I find it horrifying that small businesses think it's okay to ignore the rules on allergy advice. Every person that sells food items should be aware of how tragic their lazy, thoughtless attitude could be. Mm-hmm. It would be a great deal more serious if they were looking at a manslaughter issue. I am very disappointed, as we regularly visit Quillam's farm shop, as we like to support local stores. I won't be visiting the shop again. She has been in touch with the Citizens Advice Bureau about the incident that happened on Wednesday, April the 10th. And Mrs. Crossley says she has also complained to Trading Standards. Mrs. Crossley said she'd been offered a tea-room voucher at Kay's Homemade Cakes and a refund on the cake from Gwilliam's Farm Shop as compensation. Sarah Brown of Gwilliam's Farm Shop in Ombersley Road, Worcester, said, Our pie and cake supplier had changed the the labelling of their products and did not inform us. We will not be using their products any more. It's a difficult situation, as ultimately we sold the cake to a customer. However, the supplier had not informed us about the labelling. This morning we had a delivery from them, however, we have sent it straight back. They are aware of how serious the matter is. The Worcester News contacted Kay's Homemade Cakes, but no one was available for comment.
0: And here's some good news. Temperatures this weekend are predicted to be hotter than Saint-Tropez, with the mercury forecast to hit a high of 23 degrees centigrade in many parts of the UK. This will be just in time for sun lovers to buy their throwaway barbecues from the supermarket and invite friends and families around. Saturday in the county will receive a full 11 hours of sunshine according to the Weather Whatever website. With Sunday and Monday set to receive a similar amount, with a high of 21 centigrade on those days, forecaster Simon Partridge from the Met Office said, "After there will be a chilly spell this past weekend, we are going to see temperatures gradually increase through the week. Due to lack of crowd cover, sorry, cloud cover, heat build-up in the day will escape, so nighttime temperatures could be as low as seven centigrade." Holidaymakers looking for getaways to the seaside, the forecast is expected to be good with minimum temperatures for coastal areas, including Scotland, set to be 20 degrees. Mm -hmm. However, at this time of year, coastal areas will still be breezy, so people are urged not to forget your windproof. London will be at the higher end of the scale at 23 degrees due to something called the heat island effect. This is where the built environments retain heat for longer periods than warmed up and releases heat energy over a longer period. Richard Wilde from WeatherNet said, A front in Scandinavia is bringing up warm winds from Europe and even as far away as Africa. It's doing this by blocking the normal movement of pressure systems around Europe. What people forget is to use sun cream. Even at this time of year, the UV index is high, so wear a hat, pop on sunglasses, and factor 50 sun cream when the sun is at its peak. Between the hours of 11 and 3 p.m., find shade, as this is the time when the sun is at its highest point in the sky and posing the greatest risk of burning people. Temperatures will drop from Monday onwards with ground frosts expected in some areas during the early parts of the morning. For the latest weather information, log on to worcesternews.co.uk
1: Now then, parking fine. A row has broken out after volunteers for a charity that serves meals to homeless people were given parking tickets by ticket wardens. Volunteers from Worcester Street Café Acted with anger to the £70 fixed penalty notices they were given for being parked on double yellow lines. However, Worcester City Council says wardens had asked volunteers to move their cars to a nearby car park before issuing the tickets. Penny Perrett, one of the volunteers, handed a fixed penalty notice, said she knew they were in the wrong parking on double yellows, but had hope for more understanding. Mrs Perrett told the Worcester News that for the past 18 months, four nights a week, the charity has been operating the street cafe in Copenhagen Street. She said the city centre location was chosen as food is served on portable tables outside the old fire station in the quiet road. Mrs Perrott said, "'Volunteers park their cars on double yellow lines and unload food. "'During the hour when the cafe is in operation, "'no one ever needs to use the road, "'and if they did, volunteers are present "'and would move their vehicles. "'On Wednesday, Liz Purnell and I were serving,' two of the officers appeared, we were surprised to see them put a ticket on Liz's car. We would have moved, but no, the ticket remained on her car. And whilst we were talking, the other officer went a bit further down the road and put a ticket on my car. Why couldn't they gently ask us to move? We were not causing any obstruction. After the street cafe closed, whoops posted on Facebook about the tickets, outraged supporters donated money to pay for their fines but were offered a refund after volunteers said the tickets had been cancelled. However, a city council spokesman said the cars that received notices were parked on yellow lines in breach of parking and loading restrictions. Our officers advised the volunteers that they were parked illegally and suggested they move their vehicles a few yards away to Copenhagen Street Car Park. Some of the volunteers did move. However, in one case, the request was refused and another, a vehicle had been left unattended in an illegally parked position. Notices were issued for those too. The spokesman added that
2: he was not aware the parking tickets had been cancelled. A pupil has released her first album and is set to perform at a music festival this summer. King's sixth form pupil Nicole Sherwood has launched her first music solo and EP, which includes five songs, three covers and two originals. Nicole's music career kicked off when her parents gifted her five recording sessions as a Christmas present and then set about working extra hours in her part-time job to help buy more. After a full-day recording and three days edit, the EP Back to Front was born. Nicole said, It was such fun in the recording studio, but the really exciting bit is sharing this life for the first time. Not even my family have heard me sing the full set. Nicole also added that Back to Front relates to the way in which she approaches writing music, adding, most people write the music first and then add the lyrics to this. However, I do things the other way around, lyrics first and then music. Hence, I do things Back to Front. I take in all my emotions and see how I feel. This is what inspires me when writing my songs. While singer songwriting Adele is a major inspiration in Nicole's life, she says her family is her biggest inspiration, adding, My mum inspires me and has always supported me with my music. She also used to be a music she used to be she also used to be musical, however never followed it through. Nicole is set to perform at Wolves Fest in June, a festival at Wolverhampton Rugby Club which has a capacity for two thousand people. Speaking about the festival, the 16-year-old said, I'm so excited, but it will also be very nerve-wracking as I've never performed at a festival before. Alongside studying for A-levels, Nicole is an active musician at King's School in Worcester and a keen member of the school choir. She also recently formed a pop band with two other pupils. Nicole is studying chemistry, biology and (coughs) maths at A-level and aspires to be a doctor or musician, adding... Being a musician has always been a dream of mine and I hope one day my career will take off. Nicole took an interest to music at the age of six when she joined her church choir and has been learning to play the piano since the age of 14. Back to Front will be available to buy online from April the 26th.
3: Two district councils have refused to reveal why a former manager was paid 54,000 pounds in compensation Fiona Narberg or Narborough, the former Joint Head of Strategy, Democratic and Customer Services for Witchhaven and Malvern Hills District Councils was paid £54,000 in compensation by the two authorities. The exit package money was revealed in Whichhaven District Council's statement of accounts for 2017-18. to Miss Narberg's role was scrapped after her departure with her responsibilities being shared out between senior managers. A spokesman for Whichhaven District Council said it could not reveal why Miss Narberg pictured above received the cash for reasons of confidentiality but the spokesman added the role itself wasn't replaced instead the senior management team was restructured and the duties previously undertook by that person were divided between different senior management team members a new position of head of housing and communities was created to reflect our growing focus on housing issues. Ms. Narberg's company website states, I decided to leave my management team role as head of strategy, demographic, democratic, sorry, and customer services at Witchhaven and his Council in Worcestershire, to help other organisations improve their strategy, their communications and their staff engagement levels by going fully freelance. Miss Narberg was unavailable for comment. So that clears that up then, doesn't it? Oh, yes. A
0: schoolboy with ideas on how to help the homeless has been praised by a local MP. Ewan Buchanan has been actively helping the city's homeless most recently by lobbying for lockers in the city where rough sleepers could safely store their belongings. Worcester MP Robin Walker agreed to meet with Ewan and his parents to discuss the lockers' concept, among other ideas, after receiving a letter written by Ewan. Although Mr Walker said he did not back the idea, he praised Ewan's initiative. Mr Walker said, I am keen to help people out of homelessness and creating an early intervention to prevent it. But these lockers may encourage the situation of people living on the streets where they are at risk. He added, Ewan came into my surgery with several thoughts and ideas. It is great to meet someone so young that is interested in helping and supporting the cause. Ewan, who is in year 8 at Nunry Wood High School, has previously tried to help the homeless. Last year, he collected more than 150 Easter eggs from his year group at school, which he and his dad took to the Worcestershire Homeless Appeals Soup Kitchen as an Easter gift for homeless people and their families. He's also handed out blankets, sleeping bags, clothes and food to help, sleeping, to help the sleeping rough. His mum, Carly Buchanan, said, He is passionate about helping. He thoroughly enjoys the experience. He chats to everyone, and he really makes a difference to people by just being himself. She added, Ewan also spoke to a man who loved reading, and as a result, Ewan now collects second-hand books. He has set up a box in the hive, which is available to homeless to take to read, as and when they wish. Ewan said, I enjoy being there. I know I can't do a lot, but I'm making a difference, and by being there it makes me realise just.
1: I have a cheerful thing, a piece about litter. A total of 23 bags of litter were collected by a team of 26 volunteers at the Malvern Hills, as well as items such as cans and packets. Unusual items collected includes a set of golf clubs as well as a bicycle wheel and a car tire (laughs) efforts were concentrated on sherrard's green and madrasfield roads beck baker who is community and conservation officer said we'd like to say a huge thank you to all the volunteers who came out and helped us we have been running this event for the past four years but this was the best attendance so far, and so we managed to tidy up a huge area in record time. Our thanks also go to St Mary's Church for their delicious tea and biscuits, which were a real treat at the end of the morning. The Morven Hills Trust organised the event as part of Keep Britain Tidy, a Great British Spring Cleaning Campaign, and which is held yearly. The Trust cares for a number of green verges throughout Malvern as well as the main hills and surrounding commons. A number of other public events and guided walks on the Malvern hills and commons will take place throughout the year for those who'd like to find out uh, more about this landscape. Over half a million volunteers were part of the Great British Spring Clean event uniting in their intention to clean up areas of the UK from litter pollution and to recycle as much of what is collected as is possible. It is hoped by cleaning up the environment from the man-made waste, habitats for wildlife will be improved. So far, a total of 60,000 bags of litter have been collected. Litter-picking across the UK is part of the campaign due to finish on April the 23rd. So to get involved, visit keepbritaintidy.org.uk.
2: A music lover has unveiled plans to open the largest dedicated live music venue in Worcester. Mm. Jessica Sampson wants to set up a 400-plus capacity venue called River Rooms 2, in the closed YSS Youth Centre and adjoining cafe in Carden Street, Worcester. The school inclusion manager is raising £60,000 on an online crowdfunding page to get the project off the ground. She said, The capacity is better than other venues in Worcester. It will be for dancing and there will also be a seating area. We will have 80s and 90s tribute bands on Friday and Saturday nights for the older generation. There will also be comedy and student nights during the week. I think this will bring more choice to people in Worcester. This is a local venue for local people to enjoy, to save them from going much further afield. It's going to be a lot of fun. The 53-year-old who was born and raised in the city hopes the new club will bring major comedy stars to the city, emulating the success of Birmingham's Glee Club. She added... Comedy does happen on a smaller scale at pubs and places in Worcester, but with the audiences, we could attract, we could get similar performers to those in Birmingham. Mrs. Sampson added that she plans to employ 12 to 13 people at the venue, which would open at around 8pm and close at 2am. Speaking about the crowdfunding page, she said, We don't want to open the venue and wait for people to come in. The crowdfunding page is a way of generating interest. If people pledge, it shows they are likely to be an avid supporter of the venue. We will also like the money to help us set up. Mrs Sampson said every donor would receive their money back if the project did not go ahead. She has not yet brought the lease for the building or put in a planning application with the City Council. The money raised through the crowdfunding page will be spent on the lease, fitting out costs and bans. Mrs Sampson added that Starbridge's River Rooms venue, which she regularly visits, has given her permission to use its brand in Worcester. She hopes to open the venue in September. To support the crowdfunding page, go to www.crowdfunder.uk.uk forward <coughs> slash
3: A long-serving Worcestershire County Cricket Club groundsman has celebrated 30 years of looking after the, the picturesque cricket ground. Tim Packwood, the head groundsman at the New Road Ground, marked his 30th year at the club this weekend. Mr Packwood came to the club in April 1989 as an assistant working under the then head groundsman Roy McLaren, before replacing him upon his retirement in June 2000. Mr Packwood, a lifelong supporter of Worcestershire, has completed his three decades at the club just after the retirement of another long-serving member, Martin Watts, who spent 40 years on the ground staff. Over the years, The Worcester News has regularly spoken to Mr Packwood who has told us his aim has always been to keep improving the standard of pitches to contribute to entertaining cricket being played. Paying tribute to his service, Matt Rawnsley, the club's chief executive, said, It's fantastic. We're celebrating two members of the ground staff who have been with the club such a long time in Martin, who has just retired, and Tim. Tim has done a great job after coming in as an understudy to Roy McLaren. He probably has one of the most unique groundsman's jobs in the county in dealing with the floods that we have. But he manages to produce some fantastic facilities, not only just out in the middle on the square, but also on the practice wickets as well. We're trying to make facilities that put both sides on an equal footing and give entertainment for the crowd. And Tim certainly knows the new road wicket better than anyone else.
0: A toddler who doctors said would never walk has taken her first steps thanks to a special treatment paid for through crowdfunding. Lila Cooper from Droitwich was diagnosed with Angelman syndrome a complex disorder which primarily affects the nervous system, with sufferers usually unable to walk or talk. The two-year-old's parents, Monica and Sean Cooper, launched a crowdfunding campaign earlier this year which has raised nearly £2,000 to pay for private treatment in a bid to defy doctors. Mrs Cooper said her daughter took her first steps last week and is growing in confidence It's absolutely amazing. We never thought we would get there. Obviously, the physio is working. Lila's therapist visits her nursery every once a week and has told her parents she will learn to walk properly and completely unaided if she perseveres. She absolutely loves it. She giggles during the sessions. She's non-verbal, so she just moves backwards with her hands out because she wants them to let her start walking. They've said definitely she will walk, she just needs to keep going. Mrs. Cooper, originally from Poland, said Lila is currently working on her posture as she leans back too much, which prevents her from walking properly for longer steps. Following the original diagnosis, Lila has private physiotherapy sessions while in Poland, which her mother said has a positive impact. However, on the national health system, she can only have sessions every few months, but Mrs. Cooper felt this would hinder her chances of walking on her own. Following the sessions in Poland, which cost £25 each and used to watch her method, Lila was able to shuffle her bum and could walk with a posture frame which her mum had said given her independence. The Just Giving campaign has funded sessions every week since February, costing around £97 each time, using the more advanced bow Bath treatment. Mr and Mrs Cooper has orig- have originally taken Lila to the doctors, as she didn't seem to be developing at the same rate as their first child, Oscar six, had. The doctors wouldn't listen at first, Monica said. They asked if she was my first child, but I knew something wasn't right. I know that each child develops differently, but it didn't seem right. But little Lila began throwing herself backwards to get into bed, so doctors eventually agreed to send her to a specialist. He took one look at her and said there's something wrong with her, said Monica. Lila then had a series of tests and was diagnosed with Angelman syndrome over a year ago. Doctors also said that there's an 80% chance that Lila will develop epilepsy. See justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash monica dash cooper to donate
1: now i have a piece about a drug driver who lost control in a crash a carer crashed his car on the m5 while over the limit on cocaine and the anti-anxiety drug diazepam a court heard carl francis aged 46 careered off the M5 while returning to the city from a hospital in Birmingham. Magistrates were told that Francis lost control of his vehicle because of the wet conditions on the carriageway. Mark Turnbull, defending, said the road conditions were quite poor. An officer at the scene said that after he had cautioned him, Mr Francis replied that he has lost control of bad weather. The officer said it was a night of heavy rain. He believes he hit a large puddle of water. He accepts he had drugs in his system. He took cocaine some days beforehand. It's quite clear the cocaine was on its way out of his system he said he took it on the Tuesday and this was now the Friday. Mr Turnbull added that Francis was only slightly above the legal limit for diazepam, which he receives on prescription. The solicitor said the defendant takes the drug in the morning and evening for anxiety and depression, and he was not sure why he was over the limit. The court. Court heard Francis of Quickly Drive Worcester had just taken his mother to hospital and was driving home on the M five southbound when the crash took place. Mr Turnbull said he's the main care for two family members, his mum and his brother. His mum's situation is the most acute. She's paralyzed on the left hand side of her body. She has problem with nerves in her spine. She was going for steroid work and CT scans in hospital. He also re- recently became a carer for his brother. He was in a car crash and a result, as a result has back problems and has some brain blood clots. He now has epilepsy and is having seizures. Mr Turnbull said the car had sentimental value to the defendant as it was bought for him by his father, who recently died. He added that while Francis had previous convictions, he had since turned his life around. Chef Rio's prosecuting said Francis was arrested after a police officer arrived at the crash scene and spotted a BMW down a grass embankment. The cur- Court heard that the officer spoke to the defendant and confirmed the vehicle was his. He was then discharged by the paramedics and failed a roadside drug test, the magistrates were called. Westmorcia police were called to the scene at around nine thirty three PM on january eighteenth. Francis pleaded guilty to drug driving. Worcester magistrates court Handed Francis a one year driving bear plan, whoops, ban and told him to pay a £120 fine, £130 in cost, and a £30 victim surcharge. Hope he'd got the money. The
2: mm-hmm. great grandmother was surprised by relatives on her 80th birthday with a party at the pub where she was born. Jacqueline Beach, born in 1939, celebrated her milestone birthday at the Checkers Inn at Crowell, near Worcester, the pub where she was born and which her mother and father run at the time. Jacqueline, who goes by Jackie, was born the youngest of eight to her parents, Charles and Elsie Hines. Her parents took care of catering at the Chequers Inn, in particular by providing food for auctioneers of the many livestock auctions which took place within the grounds. When Jackie was four years old, her family moved to Swanthorpe Walk in St John's, Worcester. One of Jackie's earliest memories is sitting on apple boxes in the front room drinking soup. She remembers her childhood life as full of apple orchards, animals and a love of the outdoors, which continues today with her garden in Cradley. Jackie, who went to the Worcester Girls Grammar School, now RGS Worcester, met her husband, Morris, on a blind date. Later that day, he took her to the Checker's Inn, where he said to her, "I'm taking you somewhere you would have never heard of." Despite Jackie being a frequent customer at the pub, talking about Morris, aged eighty-six, on their first date, Jackie said, "He was all right, a bit quaint." The couple were married in 1961, and they had their firstborn Susan in 1962, followed by Andrew in 1965. They have two grandchildren, Amy and Claire, and one great-grandchild called William. When asked what the secret is to staying young, Jackie said, you've got to enjoy a drink and have a laugh. Being cheerful in life is important. Speaking about her birthday celebration, which took place on April 11th, she said, it was a lovely surprise and lovely to see all my family together.
3: The University of Worcester has agreed to underwrite a scheme for students to travel to Europe to study in the event of a no-deal Brexit. The Erasmus Plus programme, funded by the European Commission, provides grants to enable students from across Europe to spend a period of time studying at a university in another European country. There have been assurances from university's minister, Chris Skidmore, MP, that the Government intends to cover the payment of awards to UK applicants for Erasmus Plus bids approved before the day of exit from the EU, in the event that the UK leaves the EU with no deal, but there remains uncertainty. Now the University has agreed to underwrite the programme and to guarantee funding for its students to ensure they are not stopped from taking up those opportunities in the coming year. Ross Renton, Pro Vice-Chancellor at the University of Worcester, said, Having the opportunity to study at another university outside their country of birth can greatly enhance a student's experiences and personal and professional development. We do not want this opportunity to only become available to those who can afford it. Should the UK leave the EU with no deal? As a university, we are committed to providing opportunities for all of our students so that they get the best out of their time studying with us and go on to become active citizens of the world. The University of Worcester currently has 26 Erasmus Plus students from other EU countries studying on its programs, and 26 students from the University of Worcester who are currently studying at universities across Europe under the Erasmus Plus scheme. Ewan Morrison, Vice President of Worcester Student Union said, the Erasmus Plus program is a fantastic scheme that provides millions of students across Europe with the opportunity to study abroad. Mm-hmm. Experiencing other countries and cultures, mm-hmm. whether that be traveling abroad or meeting those that visit Worcester, can be hugely rewarding for those involved. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a, a couple of whatsons. on um, one Voice celebrates the beautiful voices and powerful songs from iconic women in music through the years. And that is on One Voice, Six Women at the Swan. Um, and that will take place on Saturday, the 27th of April at 7.30. For tickets, call the box office on 01905 And then um, a big O tribute at the Swan. It's more than 30 years since the big O Roy Orbison died, but a show at Worcester Swan Theatre will help to keep the legend and his music alive. A spokesman said, get ready for a night of solid gold, 60s hits and 80s musical genius as Barry Steele and friends take to the Swan Theatre stage. And that will be um, on May the 10th. And for tickets, call the box office on 1905 Six one one four two seven, and that nearly brings us to the end of uh, this week's reading. Uh, a very happy birthday to Hazel Jeffs on the thirteenth of April, and to anybody else who we haven't got the name of, please let us know. We'd love to wish you all a happy birthday. Um, lighting up time is seven fifty nine to six twenty one. Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 until 8 is 0300-123-3211. And the National Health uh, number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684-892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is... 765-765 Seven six five seven six five or seven two 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 three three. Crime Stoppers telephone number 0800-555-111. Our phone number is oh one nine oh five seven six seven seven six six, and our address is eleven Wilds Lane, Worcester W R five one D A. Um, and the listeners are reminded that the obituaries will be after the final music. Our website address is www.woostertalkingnews.org.uk, on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much, much more. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes, or changes you might like to make. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes and we'd love to hear. From all of us, goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs)
0: On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. And the obituaries are Marjorie Parry passed away on Mowbray sorry, passed away at Mowbray Nursing Home on April second, age ninety one. The funeral is at St. Peter's Church, Martley on april seventeenth, at ten thirty. Jeremy George Frederick Janes passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on april third, age sixty six. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 23rd at 10.45. Olive Lillian Thormine, which is T-H-O-U-M-I-N-E, passed away peacefully on March the 26th, aged 90. Service is at St. Oswald's Church on April the 17th at 12 p.m., followed by a service at Worcester Crematorium at 1 p.m. Kenneth Wood, known as Ken, passed away on April the 1st, The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 16th at 2.30. Gunter Smith passed away peacefully on April the 6th, aged 90. The funeral service is at St Michael's Church in Saulwarp on April the 23rd at 2 o'clock. Joyce Smith of Noel Court passed away peacefully on April the 10th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 23rd at 12.15. Trevor Hunter, formerly of Dines Green, passed away on April the 1st. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 26th at 10.45. Anthony Nind, known as Tony, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on the 28th of March, aged 76. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 24th at 12.15. Dorothy Grace Ching, known as Dot, passed away on April the fifth, aged eighty seven. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on April the twenty ninth at ten A.M. Margaret Phyllis Fletcher, known as Peggy née Fowles, passed away peacefully on April the fifth, aged ninety-four. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the twenty sixth at one forty five. Dorothy Jordan, Jordan passed away peacefully on April the fifth. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 25th at 11.30. Morris John Smith, on April the 3rd, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 3rd at 3.15. Frank Such, passed away peacefully on April the 8th. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 25th at 3.15. Nicholas Charles Turner, passed away peacefully on April the 5th, aged 55, A service of thanksgiving will be held at Life House Worcester Ellum Church on April the 26th at 12 noon. Our thoughts and sympathies and prayers are with all the families.